0: Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast from the First Christian Church in Great Bend, Kansas. We are a church with a mission of inspiring ordinary people to live extraordinary lives for Christ. It really doesn't matter who you are, what you have done, or how you choose to worship. You belong here. We pray that this week's sermon blesses you and that you feel God's presence through it today. When I was a kid, it was all the rage to have these little rubber bracelets with four letters on them, WWJD, which of course means, what would Jesus do? Y'all remember those? I had friends that had them in all different colors and would match their outfits to them. And then the use of this phrase changed and expanded. When the internet became a household item, it became WWJA, what would Jesus access? When social media started up, it became WWJP, what would Jesus post? The phrase became so popular that people began to use it for everything. What would Jesus watch? What would Jesus listen to? What would Jesus read? How would Jesus drive? And on and on, it continued to change to reflect every aspect of someone's existence. But the phrase is much, much older than just a couple of decades. In 1896, Charles Sheldon, a minister from Topeka, Kansas, just in our backyard, wrote a book entitled, In His Steps, What would Jesus do? Now, this is believed to be the first instance in which the modern meaning of the phrase is used. In this book, he wrote about a minister who believed that he should challenge others to live like Jesus lived. However, the minister himself ends up being the one who is challenged. And this theological idea of imitating Christ or living like Jesus did is even older, dating back to the 4th and 5th centuries. But the whole point behind this phrase and the popularity behind it was to get people to focus on imitating their lives to that of Christ. So as I grew up and I continued to ask the question, what would Jesus do? I tried to use the stories of Jesus that I learned in Sunday school. Jesus would miraculously heal the sick. I can't do that, so next thing. Jesus would miraculously feed 5,000 people. I also can't do that, so next thing. Oh, oh Jesus would miraculously uh, raise people from the dead. Well, now I know I definitely can't do that. So what am I supposed to do? I had to find answers. I had to figure out a way to know what Jesus would do. And so I started to read the Gospels. Because if I was going to model my life after Jesus, I had to figure out how he lived. And you know what I found? Some crazy stuff. This was not the Sunday school Jesus that I grew up with. This was a Jesus who was radical, who was a person of action, who saw what was going on in this world and pointed to a better way to live life by following God. The Jesus of the Gospels spoke out against the hypocrisy of the religious of the time. The Jesus of the Gospels spoke out against the oppression from the imperialist government. The Jesus of the Gospels challenged those around him to change, to see the lost, and to care for them. Jesus did so many great things in our lives that we can emulate. But what I think is the most important place to start is to see how Jesus looked upon the marginalized with compassion, grace, and love. Now, Jesus drew great criticism for this. And in particular, there were two groups of people that he was criticized by the religious leaders for hanging out with, which were the prostitutes and the tax collectors. Now, Jesus would eat, teach, and socialize with them. Now, it may not seem like that big of a deal to eat with these people, so let's unpack it a bit. Firstly, we have to talk about what it meant to be a prostitute during this time. Prostitutes were usually regarded as unclean temptresses uh, who were appealing to the basest uh, desires of their clients. However, as more research is done, it's been found that most of the time, prostitution was and still is related to poverty and oppression. And these women were most likely young widows, Or perhaps their father died, or perhaps the weight of their poverty crushed their families, and they were unable to work because of the gender roles of the day. But they still needed to provide for their families, so they needed to do something to get the money. They were desperate and sacrificed their own bodies to survive. But by the religious standards of that day, they were considered unclean and therefore cast off to the dark edges of society. Now, let's take a look at the tax collectors. Most of the people in the Roman Empire didn't like tax collectors, and Jewish people more so even viewed them as traitors. Now, there's a couple of reasons why. Firstly, nobody really liked paying taxes, and sometimes the tax collectors were corrupt and would accept bribes or overcharge in order to skim some some off, off of the top. Now, in terms of tax collectors within a Jewish context, they were seen as political and social traitors. This idea of betraying their own brethren came from the oppression that the Jewish people experienced at the hands of the heathen Roman Empire. Through the collection of taxes, the Roman Empire was able to continue in this oppression, which meant that the tax collectors did not have a lot of friends, and sometimes they were even restricted from participating in temple worship, which put them on the outside of society, outside of their church, and outside of their people. Now, finally, we have to talk about what it meant to eat with another person during this time period. Hospitality was such a huge deal because during this time, in order to be hospitable, you usually had to sacrifice something. There was no grocery stores, so Cousin Greg couldn't just show up and you run down to Dylan's to grab more food for dinner. No, food was scarce. It took a lot of work to provide for your family, and usually you had to plan ahead so that you don't run out of food. Secondly, Eating with someone other than your family meant that you were trying to entertain that guest to honor them or that you thought yourself equal to them in social stature. Whatever the reason that you ate with another person, it was seen as an important moment of equality and relationship building. And that's what the problem is. If Jesus was supposed to be a renowned teacher, why would he be eating with these sinners? If Jesus was supposed to be the Messiah, how could he eat with these sinners? Well, there's two stories that I'd like to highlight. The first is found in Luke 5. It says in verses 27 to 32. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax collection station. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi gave a great banquet for him in his house. And there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. The Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with these tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, saying, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Okay, hold on to Jesus' answer for just a minute. The second story is also found in Luke with a woman anointing Jesus' feet. Now, Matthew, Mark, and John all have this woman anointing Jesus' feet with oil towards the end of his ministry, which is seen as a prophetic act of his burial rites before his death. However, what Luke does is he moves the story into the middle of Jesus' ministry and adds a few different layers. In Luke 7, Jesus enters the house of Simon the Pharisee. And a woman from the city who was a sinner, which is really just the Bible's nice way of saying prostitute, found out that Jesus was eating there and went to meet him and brought along a jar of ointment. Now she, she, she sees him and weeps in front of Jesus and bows down to wash his feet and anoint them. She had nothing but her tears to wash the feet of Jesus and nothing but her own hair to dry them. Simon the Pharisee sees this and thinks that it's wrong to have this unclean woman, this prostitute, touch the feet of someone who's supposed to be a prophet. So Jesus shares a parable with Simon. In verses 40 to 48 it says, Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. "'Teacher,' he replied, "'speak.'" A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, "'Well, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt.'" And Jesus said to him, "'You have judged rightly.'" Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, "'Do you see this woman?' I entered your house. You gave me no feet, no water for my feet, but she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, hence she has shown great love. But the one whom little is forgiven loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. See, both the tax collector and the prostitute wanted to repent and understood their great need for salvation and grace. So much so that they are willing to give all that they had to follow Christ and to grow closer with God. While the Pharisees, who were not willing to sacrifice their lifestyle... Now both of these stories show the great hypocrisy of the religious in that they did not remember that they were also in great need of God's grace and that there was nothing that they could do to earn it and that God has charged them with the care of the needy, the poor and the widow. They were quick to write off the tax collector and quick to judge the prostitute, when in fact they were to care for the prostitute. They were to be the ones who supported the young widow or the broken family so that she didn't need to resort to prostitution. They were supposed to be welcoming to all who wanted to worship, regardless of their occupation. They were supposed to be fighting against the systems of oppression that existed instead of fighting the tax collectors, instead of pushing away the prostitutes. But they didn't because that would mean that they would have to be uncomfortable they would have to give something up. And in reality, they benefited from these systems that were in place that put the prostitute and tax collectors in that situation. And what's so important about these interactions is that Jesus did not care about any of that. He didn't care what these people have done or what they were going through. Jesus recognized the need to accept these people for who they were, regardless of what society would have said. They needed love and grace just like us. And if we truly want to imitate Christ here on earth, then we must be willing to set aside our expectations of others and welcome the outsider to our table. We must be willing to be uncomfortable and err on the side of love because we don't want to forget who we're following. We don't want to be like the Pharisees who believe themselves better because they've been following God longer or that they believe that they were more dedicated. We don't want to quickly cast judgment and reject those who needs God's love and grace in their life. We don't want to be like the Pharisees who ignore the needs of the outcast because we benefit from the systems that keep the outcast on the fringe. We need to be willing to welcome those who are on the outside of society and the church because God loves them and wants to be in a relationship with them. We have to see the need of the marginalized and stand against the systems of oppression that keep them on the outskirts because we were also sick and we are only made healthy by our interaction with god almighty we need to be as accepting as christ was and we need to show the love of god to all those around us regardless of who they are or what they've done now in the film hunchback of notre dame Quasimodo was kept locked away by Judge Frollo because of his birth defects. Thus, he grew up isolated and on the outside of society, and the people only had rumors and stories about him. The people only ever saw what was on the outside of the person and rejected Quasimodo because of their preconceived notions about him. However, towards the end of the movie, something beautiful happens. the bells of Notre Dame, what makes a monster and what makes a man? <laughs> Whatever that picture, <laughs> you feel and bewitch you, the rich and the rich will never people finally embraced quasimodo because they realized that they were wrong about him but you see if they would have embraced him from the get-go they would have seen the nice and caring person that he was however because they were quick to judge and they didn't care about him or what he needed the whole town paid dearly for it because they allowed themselves to be blinded by prejudice and hate which ultimately led to the destruction of parts of paris Which is why it's so important that if we truly want to imitate Christ, we have to start with accepting and loving the people around us regardless of who they are. We must not be blinded by our hate or our social norms or our religious ideals. We have to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. And I'd like to leave you with a quote from Charles Sheldon's book. Before this scene, Reverend Henry Maxwell, the main character from the book, encounters a homeless man who challenges him to take seriously the imitation of Christ. Now, the homeless man has difficulty understanding why, in his view, so many Christians ignore the poor. This is what he says to the reverend. I heard some people singing at a church prayer meeting the other night, All for Jesus, all for Jesus, all my beings' ransom powers, all my thoughts and all my doings, all my days and all my hours. And I kept wondering as I sat on the steps outside just what they meant by it. It seems to me there's an awful lot of trouble in the world that somehow wouldn't exist if all the people who sing such songs went and lived them out. I suppose I don't understand. But what would Jesus do? Is that what you mean by following his steps? It seems to me that sometimes as if the people in the big churches had good clothes and nice houses to live in and money to spend for luxuries and could go away on summer vacations and all that, while the people outside the churches, thousands of them, I mean, die in tenements and walk the streets for jobs and never have a piano or a picture in the house and grow up in misery and drunkenness and sin." So who are the modern day prostitutes and tax collectors? Who are those that we would write off as unclean and unworthy? Who are those that we would write off as our political enemy? Who would we label traitors? Who are are those that exist on the outskirts of society and of the church who need to be welcomed into the loving arms of our creator? Who are the ones that need help? You know who they are. You see them. Now what would Jesus do? Lord, thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for this continued opportunity. I pray that you, to to be challenged. I pray that you you continue to show us how to love like you love. I pray that you don't let us let us be blinded by by our own ideals of how somebody should exist or how somebody should be before they come to you. And I pray that you allow us to have that open heart that Jesus did, that you have for us. We recognize that we were once sick and are only healed because of you. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for this great grace that we've been able to experience. And we pray that you show us the opportunities how we can extend that love to others and point them to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon and we hope you are able to join us next week. To learn more about FCC Great Bend, visit us online at firstchristianchurchgb.com. Again, that's firstchristianchurchgb.com. God bless and have a great week.